1: Welcome to another episode of the Shoot Shoot Podcast, guys. We got Kanan Ling in the studio after a two week absence for a first segment. And then, after that, we got Peter Takis to talk about his success journey in the music industry. Don't have much else to say, so here's a beat to get us started. Back to the shoe shoe podcast, everyone. We're here in the studio finally after a two week absence with Kanan Lang. Kanan, what's up, you bastard? What's up, baby? How's it How going? you doing? I'm doing really well though. I got this weird fucking like there was like this bump in my ear the other day, I don't know what it was from. And then like I put headphones in and it just made it worse. Now like the entire right side of my head fucking hurts. I just like <laughs> so I can't wear headphones properly and my head hurts and I can't chew, so yeah. You should probably go to a doctor. Nah, I'm good, I'll be okay. I'll be fine. Just just ice up and work. Again. Yeah, <laughs> get
2: me in, coach. Don't yeah,
1: worry. Yeah, ice and Tylenol <laughs> fixes everything. All you need is that shit that Aaron Rodgers was selling on fucking yeah on Monday. Fucking zoomed out. He's like eyes wide open. I just need bueno secret stuff. Like Kyle Kuzma got a tattoo on his leg that says Kuz's Coos. secret stuff. I saw that. He's gonna be fifty, looking at his leg, and be like, "Yo, I was a fucking." That's idiot sick. When I was
2: young. That's <laughs> totally sick. <laughs>
1: Uh, oh, it's sick now. Yeah, totally. You know what I mean? Like, have you ever had ideas for tattoos? Like, you ever want to get a tattoo?
2: Hell yeah. I'm totally fine. I'm getting tattoos. Like what? <laughs> I want to get like a full sleeve going, man. Left arm, right arm? Uh, left arm. Closest <laughs> to the heart. because it's, so it's be... all family. Like, it's all family shit. Okay.
1: It, all family shit. Yeah.
2: It's my, I want to get a wolf because uh, that's my Did mom's you favorite animal. With
1: that, an- with that arm? No. Okay, good. Yeah, don't That'd be super awkward. Yeah, no more <laughs> right-handed. Don't worry.
2: <laughs> <That's> <laughs> yeah, like I want to get a wolf's head. Um, for my mom, which my mom's my, my mom's favorite animal. Oh, okay. And then I want to get a gorilla head to my dad's favorite animal.
1: So Harambe. Like, yeah. Well, flashbacks when Harambe was a meme. Yeah. R.I.P. my man. Then what else? Um, Just a wolf's head and a gorilla's head?
2: No, I want to get Mac Miller lyrics tattooed. Mac Miller's? Okay, Mac That's Miller cool. Lyrics that's tattooed, yeah. I respect that. Yeah.
1: I honestly haven't, like, I only started listening to Mac Miller now because he's dead.
2: I'm a fake fan.
1: Well, I mean, I never really was a fan, so yeah, technically. <laughs> so yes, you're right. This music's actually pretty good.
2: I love Mac Miller, man. Yeah, it's pretty good. That's it, just
1: lyrics and a gorilla head and a fucking wolf head. (sighs)
2: To be, and to to be Okay, but it's a start. It's it's a start. start. I like it. I like
1: it. Yeah, I always told myself if I was going to get a tattoo with a sleeve, I'd somehow incorporate a Kinder Bueno in there so that people are like, oh, what's your name again? I'd be like, just fucking look at my forearm, please.
2: (laughs) You should totally just get like a Bueno egg just like fucking tattooed on you. They're not
1: eggs, They're bars
2: no aren't they oh yeah no, no it's, it's the Kinders kinder egg. Egg. Yeah, you should get like you fucking <laughs> shut up
1: no like I want to get like a tiger's face on my forearm and then like I don't know somehow incorporate because like the Brazilian flag has like stars and like a stripe for like there's like a planet in the middle and it's got I kind of want to like incorporate that and then there's like the crest on the Portuguese flag throw that in there kinder bar kinder bueno bar in there and fuck yeah you gotta sleep and we're good to go.
2: Oh my god. That's so a bunch of other... Yeah,
1: it's just super tacky, but whatever. I own three Damari Carroll jerseys. I don't think I'm worried about what I'm drawing on my arm.
2: I feel like you should be extra careful what you do. Because just don't get Damari Carroll tattooed on your arm, please. It's like the one. Trends yeah, off I'll get Damari
1: Carroll's face on my shoulder. Yeah,
2: just don't, Please. I'm scared you actually will one day. Yeah,
1: exactly. I'll be like on a date with a chick. She'd be like, oh, so like, why are you wearing long sleeves? It's like summer. And I'll be like, oh, because I have a Demari Carroll tattoo and I want you to know me a lot better before you go running for the hills.
2: Yeah, because I don't want you to know I like a shitty. Okay, he's play. good.
1: Okay, we're not going down this path. Anyways, um, so I have a question for you. Sure. I was talking about this with a couple people the other day. Sure. I always am. That's always how I lead into my, my points when I don't know what I'm going to say. Uh, would you rather know? How you're going to die or when you're going to die? Fuck. Uh, how I want to die or when I no, die? Not how what you want to die, how you're going to die. <laughs> Those are two completely different things. I'd really love to die in my sleep, just like go to sleep and not wake up. But, but I'm not sure if that's how I'm going to go. I don't fucking know.
2: Dang, man. How or why or how or when. Yeah, not why. When. When? When, totally. Really? totally really yeah man well like think about it man if you know when you're gonna die you can be like okay i gotta get shit done before
1: this K, time. okay okay okay. I, I worded that wrong the year you're gonna die not when not like the day if it was the day yeah obviously but if like the year still man like really yeah, i guess yeah let's say the year was like 2019 fuck it as soon as january 1st hits i'd be looking over my shoulder yolo i'd, I'd be like fuck when's (laughs) this shit happening because there's a one in 365 chance that you're dying on that day like new New year's day yeah happy new year bang shot that's it really i'd rather know how really why i don't know i just like i'm the kind of person that i live my life regard how i want to regardless like it wouldn't be like oh my god i have a week to live i need to go to vegas and do a bunch of cocaine and bang a bunch of strippers i'm like i just kind of live i already live my life the the, fuck I don't like any of that. Doesn't benefit me in any sort of way. I'm like, you know, I'm living my life how I want to right now. So like, oh, me having a week left to live, I'd be like, okay, well, I guess I'll go play video games now. Like I do every other day. Like at this time when I'm bored, like it's not going to change anything. (laughs) Whatever. Fair enough. So like, unless it was like. I would super regret it though if it was like let's say their cards or something, and I pick up a card and it's like how am i going to die, and I open the card and it's like you're going to get hit by a car. I'd be like fuck, no, I'm never crossing this. You know what I mean? That like
2: that would instill so much fear. But into if it you. was
1: cancer, then I'd be like okay, cool, like I'm good. Really? Yeah, because cancer is like a long fight too, or like it's a it, you have a certain amount of time anyway. It's not like cancer, dead. That's it. Fair. Done. Okay. You know what I mean? Like I'd just be like I'd take the how and I'd pray for cancer. <laughs>
2: Watches it's just, like, the worst way possible,
1: too. <laughs> yeah, it's, I'm like, gonna tarred, go. feathered. Yeah, and it's going to be like, you're going to get fucking decapitated or some shit. Or yeah, no doubt. Maybe you're going like, to get kidnapped. <laughs> you say tarred and feathered? Yeah. we are not 19-fucking-20 anymore, you weirdo. <laughs> ah, fuck that's funny. Jeez, man. Nah. If it said tarred and feathered, I'd shit my pants. <laughs> so I'd be like, fuck.
2: <laughs> you know, at least in that situation, you don't have to, like, worry about, like, it's like it's like such a slim chance of like that happening like every day. You know what I mean? Like there's a legit chance of you dying from getting hit by a car. Totally, yeah, yeah you know of course. Like tar and feather, you'd be like, you're just gonna see some dude with like a fucking <laughs> fucking pillow walking towards you <laughs> and a fucking construction zone. You're like, this is it. It's like, babe, I love you.
1: Tell the kids I love them. I like, guess is it. <laughs> kind of fucking freak is walking around outside with his fucking pillow.
2: Guys, about to fucking feather you after you get tarred in the <laughs> construction area.
1: Well, all I'm going to say is if I do end up getting tarred and feathered, I hope it's with my clothes off. I feel like that would be way... Actually, no. What am I saying? Yeah, with my clothes on. Yeah, I feel like that'd be way more painful with my clothes off.
2: No shit. Yeah, It's like fucking straight skin to skin. Actually, it's going to hurt either way. It's going to hurt
1: like fucking hell. I I don't know. Maybe the clothes is like an extra bear I don't fucking know. No,
2: man. Like that would just get melted off.
1: But like the question is like kind of stupid in itself because I never said how specific either is. I just kind (coughs) of said how or when and like it could really have been as vague as what if you pick up a card or something. I don't know why I wanted the cards, but let's say you pick up a card and it's like, oh, you're going to die doing something stupid. And like, for example, there's this guy in China like, couple months ago he had an itch inside his body so he stuck three feet of telephone wire in his dick hole to scratch it inside his body like that totally could have killed him if he fucked up he had to go to the hospital long story short
2: no shit no shit like- I how that was like
1: his first thing too he's not like oh fuck i got this itch like i should probably go to sleep and just like wake up and see if it's still there and call the doctor he's like oh fuck, I got like telephone wire waiting in my basement. Yeah. (laughs) Might as well. Totally. That's like the most
2: logical situation. That's totally the most logical way to do it. Oh, big time. Dang. Some people are wild, bro. Some people
1: are fucking wild, man. Yeah. Some people, I was at school the other day and I saw like four people with their shoes off just like chilling crossing the sidewalk like back and forth. Not even chilling, they're just going back and forth around the crosswalk. I was like,
2: Sure, they're not homeless. What are these people? Sure, they're, they're not homeless. They're
1: near the school. I don't know if they're students. Most likely
2: homeless. <laughs> like, nine out of ten chance. Like, come on. Come on.
1: Oh, my fuck. Yeah, I don't fucking know, man. I don't know. UW is a wild place.
2: Man, I got fucking threatened. Like, and like, threatened of genocide <laughs> on camp. Like, no joke. Like, no joke. No <laughs> joke. I swear to God. What okay. shut up, okay?
1: Explain this.
2: To me. Uh was it my first year or my second year? First year. It was my first year. <clears throat> it was my first year at U of W and I was sitting straight there
1: straight out of high school, just ready for straight the Straight out of high
2: school, like fucking greenhorn, like not ready for the world, like deer in the headlights type shit. Okay. So I'm sitting on a bench and I had like my Tim Hortons coffee cup in my mouth. Like, you know how, like, there's, like, the white part showing? Yeah, yeah. And if you don't have a free hand or, you know, you just bite it and do whatever. I mean, you
1: just put it down, but, yeah, I, I feel Shut like... Shut up. It, I see you what know you're... what I mean?
2: Like, I was doing, like, hands-free text. Yeah You're gonna fucking
1: stuff. burn your mouth. Yeah, <laughs> you so anyways, idiot.
2: so I had it in my mouth and I was, like, walking. And I'm, like, texting. And wow, it's, like and big Yeah, right? Like, totally. So, this big, like, homeless dude, like, this big, drunk, just piss drunk dude like walks up to me. He's like, do you know how fucking disgusting that is? And I'm like, what? And, like, this guy was, like, native too, so like, let's put that, like, that, that'll like, put it into context of like, the genocide. Okay. So, we're sitting, well, I, was, I was like sitting, and he fucking comes up to me, and he's like, "Oh, hey, that's so disgusting, but like, why are you doing that? I'm like, just sending a quick text, and then I was like, on my way to class, he's like, that's so disgusting, I'm like, you white people are so disgusting, and I'm like, what? I'm like just sitting there, like scared, like I'm gonna die in this instant. And he's just like, and he's like, sits down with me. He's like, you know what? He's like, you better fucking take that cup out of your mouth, or I'm gonna fucking beat the shit out of you. I'm like,
1: what the like, fuck? I'm like, what?
2: I'm like, dude, like I'm like, cool. What? fucking Took it out of my mouth and I put it down beside me, and I'm like, whatever, like fucking, he's off on his way, and I started sending my text, and I kind of, like, glance up, and he's walking back towards me. No fucking like, I would have ran. I'm I'm like, I'm I'm dead. Like, I'm dead. So I'm just, like, sitting there, like, oh, fuck, what is this guy, what does this guy want? So he comes up to me, he's like, you guys are fucking disgusting, like, we should just fucking wipe you white people from this fucking earth. You guys are pieces of shit, and blah, 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 and I'm just like, alright, man, like, I'm the university student on my way to university class and you're the drunk dude in two, 2 30 in the evening or 2 30 afternoon piss out of your fucking mind drunk yeah sorry okay yeah. peace man totally Fuck. i totally have my life out of whack with my
1: i actually would have shit my pants like, yeah like
2: I'd, i'm i think there was like a little squirt in there but
1: you know. i honestly like <laughs> reflexes might have thrown the coffee at him <laughs> Honest to God, I might not have... Because I do a lot of dumb shit spur-of-the-moment <laughs> time. Like, I don't think things through very well. So I probably would have just been like, oh, shit, yeah, let me put my phone down. Just, like, throw the coffee at him and just ran.
2: Bro, like, <laughs> legit, I would have gotten dragged off and, like, murdered or something, bro. Like, hell.
1: Yeah, like, exactly. Crazy, is, 100%. Oh, yeah, totally. Like, you would have you you fucked. So,
2: yeah, like, as soon as he left there, I'm just like, I just power-walked to class and, like, hit in a corner. <laughs>
1: Cried in the back. Yeah, of class. Cried, was,
2: cried in the back. Of
1: class. Yeah, I know it's a sensitive subject material. Can and you'll get over it? You're like, yeah, I know. Don't call on me anymore.
2: I don't want to die.
1: This morning, actually, my buddies were picking me up, going to school, and they told me they were kind of in the middle of the road because they don't know how to drive. And this guy got out of his car and he went over to the window. And I, like, I, I wasn't there so I can't verify but this is what they told me and so the guy knocked on the window my buddy was gonna roll down his window and then all of a sudden the dude opened his car door and he was like What? Hey, you know you're in the fucking way, right? And he's like What? He's like caught so off guard and the guy's like oh, I can't remember what he said but he was like I think he like threatened to beat the shit out of him or something and he's like Move your fucking car, and then the guy in the front seat was like, You know, it's like illegal to do this, right? Like, you can't just fucking go up to people's car and throw and He's like, Ah, yeah, peace, guys. Have a good day. What? Yeah, man, people are fucked. Yeah, man, totally. What the people fuck? People are fucking crazy. That's crazy. Yeah, don't as, be doing as weird dope shit. dope as Winnipeg in the
2: is. It's just as crazy. Yeah, Winnipeg is fucked I see some messed up shit in the city, man. Winnipeg is super fucked. Like, the crackheads, like, downtown and shit, man. Like, they're fucking hilarious, dude. Like, I saw some shit, because I worked in, like, downtown, like, hard to down... Like, you know, like, that video of the dude, like, running down the street naked? Yeah, yeah. like, that was, like, a street over from where I was working Okay, this summer. Yeah, I saw some crazy shit, dude. I saw some, like,
1: crackheads. This and, like, one, uh, this one girl that I was, uh, seeing for a while, she told me this story of one of her friends was, like, just finished med school. Like, she geez. finished her underground f- undergrad, finished med school, and was, like, I think she finished another four years of school or some shit. So she's, like, yeah. 12 years of school, and she was standing downtown, and this drunk dude, Or like he was on some sort of drug or something, he was under the influence, and he just ran up to her and punched her in the face, and it fucked her eye up so badly, she lost vision in her eye. So all those years of school went down the fucking drain like two days after she graduated. Yeah. What? Yeah. Bro. Yeah. That's... I would have... Fucking flipped fuck. my lid, bro.
2: I would have. Oh, I'm, I would have just lost my. Oh, I guess like you like, can't. Like the guy just keep punching you eye,
1: You're like ow, my eye, and he's off. Like there's yeah. nothing you can do about I it. I mean, like,
2: it's different if it's a girl like me. I'd like fuck that. Like I would have somehow chased after. I would have been in shock. I would have been like, the Fuck just
1: happened. I mean, oh my. my eyes are so shitty. Anyways, I can't be. It. You probably I'm, fixed I'm squeamish you. and like yeah, fixed my. <laughs> this one's better now. What the fuck? <laughs> Why do I? See Why that? are you running away? Hit the other one. Just give me another one. Yeah, no, I'm super squeamish, though. I couldn't be a doctor in the first place. Just, yeah. Jesus Christ, I couldn't be a doctor. Dang, man. Oh, my God, yeah. Like, are you squeamish at all? Nah. My either. my family's super kind of squeamish. Ish. Like, super. And so, I never really got squeamish until, like, in grade nine, we were having our vaccines. And I, like, if I haven't had anything to eat all day, or if, like, s- some part of my body's sore or hurting. Yeah. And if I see something that'll make me squeamish, I'll fucking freak out. So we were, like, standing in line, and these two guys in front of me, and I hadn't eaten all day, they were talking about, like, ripping each other's veins out, and, like, sucking on them or some fuck shit, and, like, the next thing I knew, I, like, opened my eyes, and I was on the ground, and everybody was crowded around me. I'm like, what the fuck just happened? They're, like, yo, man, you just passed out. I'm like, all right, word, can I get my vaccination now? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Like, "Nah, no, man, are you okay? Like, we thought you died. I'm like, okay, you That's... guys, okay, first off, you guys are fucking stupid. <laughs> Still kicking. I'm still fucking breathing. I'm yeah, good, no doubt, obviously. But like, yeah, it was fucked. it was completely fucked. Dang. Yeah. Um. What was I gonna say? Oh yeah, no. This one time, this girl was telling me about her period, and like my knee was really hurting because I had been sitting in a car all day, so it was like really stiff. And she was telling me that like something about it, like it was so fucking gross. I can't remember what happened. I think she had like. Cysts in her vagina, or something, or like a yeast infection, or
2: first place, why is she telling you this? (laughs) Like, the first of all,
1: okay, I talk about a lot of fucked up things, so I kind of like invite fucked conversations. Yeah, so she was like, Yeah, and like black stuff comes out. I'm like, What? That's
0: not okay.
1: Fuck, like, look, I'll talk about periods with you. I'll talk about periods anybody. But, like, that took me so off guard and my knee was hurting. I was like, okay, shut up. Like, I'm going to fucking pass out. <laughs> if you don't shut the fuck up and if my knee doesn't stop hurting, I will hit the deck.
0: <laughs> Bro.
1: Black stuff coming out. I didn't even know that could happen. That's not healthy. I'd <sighs> euthanize myself. Facts. Like, okay, the idea of periods first place sucks. Like, because you're not pregnant your body just fucks you up every month. Yeah, no doubt. That just sucks dick. promotes it. And then, like... No, you've got like cysts in your vagina, and you fucking are gonna die. Like, oh my (sighs) god, that sucks. That just sounds painful. Oh my god, that sucks. Like, I wouldn't wish that on anybody. That's crazy. Yeah, no. That's just fucking. That's messed up, bro. Damn. Anyways, uh, next up on the Shoe Shoe Podcast, we got Peter Takis in the studio to talk about uh, his journey to success, uh, him owning Blacklist and the list in the Exchange District a couple of years ago, and now he's signed with Universal Music. He lives in Las Vegas now, and here's a beat from him before we get that going. What's up guys, welcome back to the Shooter Shoot Podcast. Here in the studio, we got a very special guest. We got DJ and recording artist, recently signed with Universal Music, Winnipeg's very own Peter Takis
3: thank you guys for having me i had to stop in real quick i'm in for two days but i knew i had to stop by
1: it's good to see you man it's good to see you i mean it's good that you actually made time for this interview and stuff and you're headed back to vegas tomorrow right
3: tomorrow at noon as long as i don't miss my flight <laughs> which i'm really hoping i don't i need you guys to text me at noon to make sure i'm there <laughs>
1: I was doing some research on you before you came on, and I found some articles about back in 2015 you opening up stuff in the exchange. Yeah, there was uh, the list. Yeah, there was Blacklist. You yeah. want to talk about how three years ago you're creating uh, small businesses in Winnipeg, and now you're at Universal Music? In yeah, Vegas. Th-
3: it's weird to think because uh, we had Blacklist, which was a store and a barber shop. We had the List, which was a restaurant and a live music venue. Uh, we also had a studio that was kind of a little bit more private but that was blacklist studios as well and it, it, it's really funny because you look at those businesses and historically now looking back four years the businesses failed right mm-hmm. and you realize four years later when now you're making music now you're touring that every single business taught me something about what's actually happening right now so when I had a clothing store the number one thing was I was like damn My clothing store failed. I'm a failure. What happened? Now when you're on tour, all of a sudden, when people are tweeting at me, do you guys have merch? I know exactly where to go. I know which graphic artists make the best designs. I know where to print shirts. I know where to do cut and sew. That store that failed years ago taught me so much. And then in terms of uh, the restaurant and the live venue, one of the craziest things with that is that was a really difficult point in my life. That was a very hard business to open and it was a very hard business to close. Fast forward, now we're touring. Now my manager says, hey, this venue wants to book us in Houston. We got an offer in New York. Now I start understanding the economics of a venue because I own a venue. So now I know we got to sell this many tickets for this much liquor sales so the promoter's happy. And we get booked again. Mm-hmm. So all those all those all those like little things that happen accumulated to give me this like crazy foundation, which I now use every day in the music industry.
1: Yeah, that's insane. I mean, do you kinda wanna take us through a brief journey of this whole adventure for you? I mean, coming from Winnipeg, going yeah. to Transcona Collegiate Institute, which I didn't even know was a high school to like <laughs> four years ago. And now you're like you know so many famous rappers and you live in Vegas and you're creating dope music
3: it's been crazy man i tweeted out the other day that i'm like 23 but i swear i'm 53 and i like i I feel it i'm like i'm i don't believe my age i feel like you know when someone's like yo you're lying about your age i'm like i might be 23 doesn't feel right at all but i mean when i was 14 i remember it was it was like a graphic arts class where i'm like yo i want to make t-shirts and at the time T-shirt companies weren't a thing in Winnipeg. You guys know a t-shirt company. Some kid buys a blank t-shirt and they slap a logo on it and it's their new brand that happens every three days. But when I was 14, 15 years old, doing that was insane. I had to find people in California that were printing shirts. I had to order blank gear from China. I had to make make so many steps because there was just no local company, no local outlet at all. So I started that brand and It was called Local Advancers, and the first shirt we put out just said support local hip-hop. And I remember going into like every store being like, please sell my shirts. And everyone was like, get out right now. We're not selling your shirts. You're a kid and these look terrible. And I I just kept grinding it out, kept grinding it out. And then eventually my strategy shifted, and I said, you know what? Instead of me trying to make people purchase my shirts, I'm going to start giving them away to influential people. And at the time, I didn't have access to Big Sean. I didn't have J. Cole's email address. But I knew certain, like, YouTubers, very small YouTubers. Like, you know, Timothy DeLaGhetto? Have you guys heard him? He's yeah. a comedian on YouTube. Yeah, yeah. I was able to reach out to him on Twitter. And guys like Pride, who were, like, also just, like... Uh, a in little YouTube yeah. artist. And yeah. they would actually wear my stuff. And that slowly gave credibility. Slowly, slowly. Really quickly, I just wanted to interject. How did
1: you get them to where, like, did you just reach out to them and give your shit to whoever? I,
3: I would reach out and I would be like, I'm a huge fan of yours and I want to send you a care package. And I would write them a handwritten note about what my favorite song was of theirs or my favorite video, and I'd say, please wear it. And I mean, when you're an up-and-coming YouTube artist or, like, a YouTube comedian, you don't get free stuff that much. Yeah. But when you're, when you're J. Cole... You you got 10 publicists before I could even get a P.O. box, right? So I started off with that. They started wearing it. And one of my big breaks and kind of the moment where all the press happened and when I actually started making money selling T-shirts in high school was when J. Cole came to the Garrick Center. And at the time, J. Cole was like my favorite artist ever. And I remember going up to the promoter at the time, and I just messaged the promoter, and I'm like, yo, can I sell my T-shirts at the J. Cole show? And he's like, all right, if I get commission and you pay this and you pay that. And I realized I'd make no money. But I was like, you know what? I'm going to sell some shirts of this J. Cole show. And maybe I'll get to actually watch him, and not to buy a ticket. This is amazing. So I remember selling, selling these shirts. And then his tour manager came up to me. And he's like, how old are you? I was like, I'm 16 or I'm 15. I was super young. I feel like he kind of felt bad for me because I was selling no shirts whatsoever. I was just like in some corner with like, I wrote $20 a shirt and I maybe like sold two to my friends. And the tour manager's like, you know what? You want to meet J. Cole after this? Like you're you're grinding it out? Just come to the tour bus after. And I was like, of course. And because I had so much unsold inventory, I just filled a box up and I met him and I'm like, yo man, I'm like, I'm one of your biggest fans. Here's a whole box of shirts. This one says support local hip-hop. I think you'll love it. And then I was working at SportCheck. And I was... I used to, like, sharpen skates at SportCheck. And you know how mean parents are when you sharpen skates? Like, if I I was, like, sharpening skates, and some parent with, like, an 8-year-old that played hockey, if it wasn't level, they would just yell at you. (laughs) And I remember I was sharpening skates one day, all day, all day. And then my manager's like, Hey, um... I just seen this tweet, J. Cole wore your shirt at like the MMVAs. And I was like, I checked my Twitter and it was just like, and like the website oversold. I didn't even have enough stuff. And that was like the first moment where I'm like, wow, I now can have access to like celebrities that wear my stuff. And that was the start of everything. This little t-shirt company, man. And that evolved to actually opening a physical store, which I called Blacklist. Local Advancers was kind of the... 14, 15-year-old Peter that was like, local advancers, we're going to put the city on the map, super yeah. like cute and immature. Blacklist was kind of my attempt at rebranding. Hey, I'm almost an adult. I'm almost 18. Let's make something a little more serious yeah. and maybe even a little darker because I was kind of going through some stuff. And that's when I opened that store. Yeah. So that was early. So it was, it was t-shirts in high school. By the time I was 18, we opened the store in the exchange, which eventually became a barbershop. And that is now Saint, which is probably one of the the top barbershops yeah. in Winnipeg right now. Scott Ramos just yeah. does an amazing job, and just cleans everyone up perfectly. Yeah. He's the the fave god.
1: Yeah, no doubt. So when uh, you opened Blacklist, was that with? I'm gonna try to word this correctly. Did you open it with the intention of opening up more doors for celebrities, or was it kind of more like a local project?
3: It was 50% a local project. I really wanted to have my own place. I wanted to work at it. I was becoming an adult. I was 18. I wanted to say this is my job. I'm the owner-operator. It wasn't like I owned the place and just hung out in the condo. It was I opened the doors, I cleaned the bathrooms, I folded the shirts. It was everything. I was really an owner-operator. But on the flip side, when celebrities did come to town, I want it to be their first outlet to, hey, I'm going to give you free stuff. Stop by. Also, we're going to give you a free haircut. If I know any artist, mm-hmm. all they want is an, a fade before their show. Mm-hmm. Every artist needs a fade before their show. So I thought I had the infrastructure to keep attracting artists. And as much as you know, a t-shirt company and a clothing store and a barbershop shop are very far from what I'm doing now, you guys are going to start to notice that it all compounded into what I'm doing now in terms of the connections, why I can open my phone and I'll have a big Sean phone number. You know what I mean? All these things happened and kind of grew. And then the the final straw with that was we opened The List, which was like a live music venue, which was terribly bold, (laughs) terribly bold idea. If If there's one thing that is the hardest business to actually do successfully, it's food and beverage. And, you know, we found a spot. I remember I was looking for, for real estate for the list. And there were so many perfectly feasible venues. But because I was so young and immature, I was like 19. I was like, no, it needs to be next door to my store. It needs to be around the corner. I want to, like, own the block. I need the exchange. And this one building, it was just in terrible shape. It had no HVAC unit. The, the floors were... Destroy. there was an asbestos test where I had to get rid of stuff and just because I was so young I decided to take on that project and obviously going over budget you're going behind schedule that's why that business closed about a year after it opened but that was also another attempt of live music let's learn about the economics of bringing in an act how many tickets have to sell to be profitable how many uh what's the average spend for liquor per person that Mm -hmm. comes to show. These were all things that kept compounding. And on the side, we had Blacklist Studios on Portage, but that was really just private to make our music. I didn't yeah. even really open that up to the public.
1: I'm sure you don't regret the list, though, even though no. it closed down a year after, because taking that risk yeah. and actually going out and doing all that shit on your own and learning what not to do.
3: Yeah, no, the, the first year it failed, I regretted it horribly, <laughs> but once <laughs> once you kind of like build past it, get a couple wins under your belt, the one thing like I read, I don't know which book it was, but... When you accumulate enough wins, mistakes get forgotten. And when I accumulated enough wins and the debts of all that went away, it's why I don't even think about it anymore. Yeah, It's just like it, it happened. It was a year. I was, I was 19. I owned a restaurant whatever. Who cares? And now we're on to the next. But that was my business start. And that was very much the foundation for what created Price and Tacus. And now the insane journey I've been on for the past two years touring.
1: Yeah. So let's talk about something that might hit a little closer to home with you. I know you tweeted recently about this and you know, the tragedy of Mac Miller this past Mm -hmm. weekend and your tweet was about when you were 16, you gave him a shirt and he wore it at a show. I want to talk about how, you know, uh, success and progression isn't linear. You know, you Mm -hmm. have your ups and downs and your gaps and your moments where you're thinking, why do I do this? Can you talk about that moment in particular and how that was a big, uh,
3: yeah, I mean that that moment with Mac Miller, as much as the past few years maybe a lot of people haven't resonated with his new music the same, Mac Miller was, he was the biggest artist in high school, man. Like that's the only guy I was listening to. I was such a huge fan. And when he came to, I believe it was the Garrick Center, he did a show and I, I had a friend named Milan who was doing the show as well. And he's like, you know what, come meet Mac during soundcheck, give him a shirt, he's probably not going to wear it. Let's just give it a shot. It worked with J. Cole once. It worked with a couple artists before. Let's try. So I went to go meet him back, and I had like three shirts. And they were all the wrong size. It was like I had no money for inventory. I I wasn't able to get anything that would fit right. I was like, hey, man, I make these shirts. I'm presenting the show. I'm like, I just want to give you these. And when you do that, the ratio when you start is you give 100 care packages to expect one photo. Like literally one person will wear out of hundred care packages. The return on investment is terrible. Yeah. So I, I had no expectations. Immediately takes it out of the package, puts it on. It's two sizes too big. He's like, take a picture of this, might help. And then during the show, his DJ came out wearing it. His security guard came out wearing it. And I didn't realize until later on that how much that means how much that meant to me. It wasn't a big deal for him, he had all the merch in the world to wear, but he was like, you know, let's make this 16 and 17 year old kid happy right now, and that's when I realized he was such a great guy, and the one regret I definitely have is, being in LA and being in Vegas, I've met almost everybody and built relationships with people that I grew up listening to, I never got to reconnect, and I never got to see Mac Miller after that one um, incident, but... That was a wake-up call, man. This whole year has been a wake-up call in yeah. terms of substance abuse in, in the music industry. You know, dope. It's, it's insane.
1: Yeah. Some of, like, I know you said some of your business failed. Can you talk a little bit more about maybe uh, other times where you thought to yourself, is this really worth doing or do I really know what I'm doing?
3: Oh, man. In, until you have a huge win, you say that every single day. Literally. I, I, said, I said it every single day. And when you're 21 and you're putting out music, it's it's fun. But clock's ticking. What's going on, man? Like, why aren't you turning profit on this? What's going on? Then you turn 22, and it's like, ah, oh, this song didn't do too well. What's going on? People are asking questions. Yeah. Um, my rent's late right now. I'm like, my Rogers bill isn't working out. Like, what's going on? Another year down. And the pressure hits, and you, would, I'd be lying if you said you don't feel it every single day. But once you start accumulating a couple of those wins, the momentum hits. And I don't think those questions ended until I played at EBC in Mexico. Because that was an 80,000-person festival, something I grew up watching on YouTube for the past 5, 10 years. And being on that stage, I, I like teared up during the set. And after that, I was just like, okay... I'm not going to ask myself that question anymore. I did it. And even if it all ends, if the, the whole album we put out flops, and if all the all the agents tell us we're not getting booked, I did something that I never thought I could do. So... Yeah, that was the moment where I stopped questioning myself. And now I'm, I, I don't even stress it. We'll put out a song. If it does good, that's awesome. If it doesn't do good, it's awesome. If we sell at a venue, 4,000 people, amazing. If we go to a market that doesn't care, we sell 112 tickets. Well, that, that happens. That's and awesome. it's totally happened. Mm-hmm. Like, we've done Montreal where there was 4,000 people. And that was incredible. And, I, and then you get a little gassed up and you're like, oh, yeah, 4,000 people. You know, we're out here. And then all of a sudden they're like, you got a show in Houston next week. And then you get a text. You guys sold 112 tickets in a 4,000-person venue, and 112 people in 4,000 people doesn't look that good. So when you guys check my Instagram, you'll see the sold-out shows. You're not going to see like the grind and the ones yeah. that didn't go yeah. that well, right? Mm-hmm. So, yeah, big time. Uh,
1: how did you get that show at EDC?
3: Well, we've been we've been working for a really long time putting out music. We had a, a really big moment where we remixed a song called Never Forget You by Zara Larson. Mm -hmm. And that remix, like, to this day, probably has about 250 million combined streams. And it's been played by Diplo, the Chainsmokers, Tiesto, almost anyone you could imagine. That song gave us enough leverage to sign an agency. That's when we signed a record label. That's when we have, like, a real manager that can make things happen. And I think we had enough buzz at the time where they thought we could be a good fit. And the thing about um, EDC is there's, like, six stages. It's, like, it's Damn. the big, it's it's insane. Everyone looks like ants. And they put us on the main stage. And we were on at, like, 4 p.m., I think. And we were nervous because as much as when Marshmello's on at midnight, there's 100,000 people, I was like, what happens at 3, 4 p.m.? I'm like, are we going to be on the biggest stage in history and there's going to be 12 people? And we popped out and there was as many people as we could see. So that was a big moment, but I, I just feel like we had enough buzz at the time, and we were we were an act that some people were excited about. Yeah. So,
1: so can you talk a bit about how uh, the platforms and stuff and how you got yourself out there? I mean, how long have you been creating music for now?
3: Yeah. Uh, well, if you f- go into the deep internet, you will find, like, I had songs with Goody like six years ago, seven years ago. Yeah. That were on SoundCloud that have 500 plays. And I would keep putting out these songs, man. It'd be like 500 plays, 350 plays, 700 plays, 800 plays. And it's like, do I have have like a 1,000 people that want to hear this? And when you make a song, it'll take weeks. And all of a sudden, the the gratification of seeing 350 people actually click it. And then you go to the analytics and you see that like 13 people downloaded it. It could get really depressing, but you just keep going and... As much as I, obviously, I did the radio thing, I did all these random strange businesses, music was always there. It was always first. It was always my number one passion, DJing and putting out music. But momentum hits, and that's why like I gave you guys that that little gift. And I, I said, save me as your guest for your 100th podcast. And I said that because the compound is real in any industry. If you guys hit 100 podcasts, it's going to go 300 then four hundred, then a thousand hits, then ten thousand hits, and then by the hundredth, who knows where you guys are going to be at, and who knows what guests you guys are going to be having. Yeah. So that that saved me for the hundredth podcast was very real because things didn't matter until we hit our probably hundredth song. Like I literally, I, I threw a hundred things at the wall, and finally one sticked. And once that once that stuck, I was I was out of here.
1: Yeah. Wow. That's insane. Thank you again for that. That means a lot. You know that vote of
3: confidence, especially yeah. how young this is. Yeah, you guys many? better hit 100. I'm going to be <laughs> tweeting every one of you guys. I'm Thank counting. You. What number you got now?
1: Oh, it's This is number seven. 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 yeah. Seven. yeah is this is the seven?
3: seventh one. All right. I'm going to hit you guys up. <laughs> I'm going to remind you, 100.
1: Oh, 100%. Please hold us to that. Yeah. You want to tell us about some of the other stories, like the craziest stories you have meeting famous people and those celebrities?
3: Um, Probably one of the the craziest friendships that I never thought I had was with uh, the Chainsmokers. Those guys are... are actually friends, and I never thought I'd see that. Those were the guys that turned dance music kind of pop, if that makes sense, Mm -hmm. because there was always that, like, these huge EDM artists, but none of them crossed over to being the biggest pop stars that are on Billboard and number ones, and those guys were my idols, man, and I used to tweet at them, song links, and I used to, like, man, I used to try to find every email, old emails, I was trying to hit them up on Facebook, and one day... I got a message, and they're like, yo, they played your song. And I'm like, what? They played our song? And then we started building, like, a slow email friendship. Still, I'm not asking for your phone number. No big deal. And then one day when we were in Toronto, they text me. And they're like, hey, we have an idea, and uh, we want to fly you guys to Vegas. And next thing you know, we were in Vegas hanging out with them, partied one insane night, and we've been friends ever since. That's probably, like, the craziest friendship that we've had where... It's, it's weird, man. This is, I don't want to sound negative. This is a positive, positive podcast. <laughs> but I remember the first five years messaging local artists, messaging local DJs, messaging local promoters, being like, give me feedback on my song. Can I have an opening slot? And not getting responses. And to be able to have a question about a contract, and call Alex from the chain smokers and he answers immediately, even if he's on a jet somewhere. It, it really kind of shows that the people at the top are the most open to supporting. And that that was like such an eye opener for me. And now, like, we have a, a price and tackis at gmail.com and we get 10 demos a day, 20 demos a day, and I'll respond to every single kid. It could be the worst song I've ever heard but I'll give them feedback. It could be the best song ever, and I could be like, you know what? Talk to this guy. I'm even reaching out to Winnipeg DJs now, being like, look, this manager might be interested in your genre of music. You should probably talk to this label. Things that I think really helped the city back in the past five years, I'm trying to undo the best I can.
1: I think that's incredible that you're trying to reach out to people and mm-hmm. be a mentor for these young people. Was it Was that always in your mind, or was it kind of the eye-opener that you saw how giving...
3: It was the eye-opener. It, it was... It's it's so weird, the perception I had growing up, where I'm like, the people around you, those are the people that support you. And the people at top, like, the rich people, those guys are evil. Those guys don't help. And then once you start meeting these people, they're, like, the nicest people in the world. Mm-hmm. Like, I'll email Tiesto, and he'll respond in two minutes, versus when I would email a local DJ five years ago, and they would take three weeks to hit me back. Mm-hmm. So you start to realize that the, once you actually have resources, you better give them back. And you kind of start, I never really like believed in karma, but you start really believing in it because the guys at the top are the guys that give the most. And it's the guys that are bickering and talking negatively that have nothing to give. So I, I started to really, really believe in that. And I'm not at the point where I could help someone as much as I want to, but any opportunity i can yeah it's it's so important
1: that's incredible i really agree with that you know because like uh we were talking about this before the podcast started but the book leaders eat last yeah of course very important putting other people in front of you to help everybody out
3: um and very- just in terms of longevity it's oh like, yeah i th- this is the music industry i'm 23 i could have a hot song and in two years if i'm mean to people i'm working at starbucks it's that simple. Like, the music industry is fast. I could have a hot song, do two hot tours, and then it goes away. I'm not hot anymore. They don't want to play the songs. But if you are supportive of everyone, that next guy is going to support you. And, and it's just like, it's really, as much as it's a karma play, it's a longevity play. You've got to be nice to people on the way. Because yeah. trust me you always will have like valleys valleys are happening my valley is probably coming very shortly (laughs) you never know there's peaks and valleys so you gotta be prepared for that
1: I think that's one of the things that most impressed me about you and like I don't even know you that long and reading about you and hearing about things about you talking to Kane and all that it's been very impressive like three days of (laughs) looking you up and stuff you become very well uh well-rounded, you know, you're multifaceted, you just signed a deal with Adidas. Can you talk briefly about what that's meant to you?
3: Yeah. So Adidas is, it's such an incredible company and it it didn't make sense to me at the start. We got to Toronto and you think of these super corporations. I think everyone kind of thinks big corporations are mean. And if you're not LeBron James, or if you don't have a contract in the NBA, they're not even responding to you. But Toronto literally has, in Adidas, people that look for other artists in the culture to support. And when Adidas found us, they gave us so many opportunities. It's not about them sending us 10 pairs of Yeezys. It's cool. It's not about them sending us tracksuits to wear at the shows. It's when Adidas has a shoe launch, they'll call us and they'll say, hey, will you guys DJ this shoe launch? And when we tell them our fee, they'll double it. Like they're just—they are like you guys are up and coming. You guys are becoming tastemakers. We're gonna support you guys. And Adidas on the come up. There's no one that's even touching them. I love I love Nike, and that's awesome that they're supporting such massive artists. But I've never seen a huge company care about up and coming. And is me wearing a pair of Yeezys and Adidas tracksuit at EDC gonna sell more Adidas? Probably not. It's not gonna affect their bottom line. This is a multi billion dollar company. Maybe one kid in Winnipeg bought an extra pair of Yeezys because of me. Yeah. But they are taking an L for long term supportive culture. And that's why I, I support everything yeah. Adidas have, has been doing. It's you know, incredible.
1: I'm gonna I just wanna pick out something you said there and I, I know you're gonna you didn't probably think about it that much, but I don't think it's an L, you know, and I don't think you think it is either. It's yeah. just when you take care of the people around you and mm-hmm. when you make sure those people within your circle are taken care of. It goes so far, you know. Why do you think Adidas is at the top? Like yeah. you said earlier, they take care of the people. Why mm-hmm. do you think T.S. was at the top? Yeah. Chain smokers, yeah. all those people.
3: No, it's true. Yeah, I didn't. I didn't really think that through either. But it's just you think about these corporations, and they look at you as analytics. That's all. You're on a piece of paper. They're like this NBA player is getting signed. He's in this market. He looks this way. He appeals to this demographic. Let's give him this for four years. Adidas just says you know what, these kids have kind of a cool look. Looks like they have some followers that might be interested. Let's really back them. And they've backed us. They're the first company that's backed us uneconomically. Like they've overpaid, they've oversupported, they've overextended. It's the first time I've seen like poor business moves for the sake of culture and support, hoping long-term maybe we do have that hit that we stay loyal. And it's these bets that they've placed – it's not just us, it's guys like Jazz Cartier and Killy and all these all these Toronto artists, Universe, who's a really good friend of ours, like they support and yeah, I just I just love Adidas. Everything yeah. they've done.
1: Yeah. And that says a lot and I think it shows like it reflects your character too, you know, totally. how they treat people reflects mm. how you treat people and so forth and so forth. Have you met many uh, Adidas clients like famous Adidas athletes or famous Adidas uh, partners.
3: I'm really close with all the Toronto artists mm-hmm. with Adidas. So guys kind of at our level. Like um like Universe is one of our really good friends. She's a DJ in Toronto. Um, Killy, Baca, Roy Woods, a lot of a lot of the OVO Roy guys oh, yeah, are yeah. all on Adidas. And it's not like, like Roy Woods and Baca, these aren't the biggest artists in the world, but they're very important in Toronto and Adidas takes care of them for that reason. Yeah. So I, I really get relationships with all the guys in Toronto, but in terms of athletes, I, I don't know too many like Adidas, okay. Like, athletes.
1: Okay. And I mean, obviously like being with Universals exposed you to so many other celebrities and yes. stuff like that. What's a, what's a day in the life of Peter Takis like?
3: Oh, man, it's it's usually a mess. It's usually just <laughs> complete shambles. And it's usually filled with flights and hotels and checking in and hoping I don't lose anything because I lose a MacBook charger every single hotel I've ever been in. And iPhone chargers, like, man, I, I need to get a bulk iPhone charger supplier from China or somewhere because, yeah, it's crazy. But for the most part, The last few months have been touring. We've been touring. We've been building our live show. We've been trying to go through a different strategy, as in we will say yes to a show, even if we know it'll be a 200-person venue Mm -hmm. in Arizona, in Houston. We've been to Mexico multiple times. We'll do New York as many times as possible. We'll go to venues that maybe we won't make very much money on the show, and maybe it won't be as busy of a venue for our ego. Mm-hmm. But our goal is our live show is so strong that out of those 250 people, we'll steal 25, we'll steal 50 yeah. as fans. That's been the strategy leading up to the album, mm-hmm. but because we're in album mode right now, other than some Vegas shows, I'm really taking time off touring until the album comes out. Nice. Yeah. And then it's then we're gonna switch strategies entirely, where you need to become a fan of our music because you're not gonna be able to access so many live shows.
1: Yeah, yeah. yeah. And when's the album releasing?
3: We'll see. <laughs> we're not done yet. It's been it's been about a year process. We scrapped an entire album that we thought wow. we had finished, but. Um, it's it's gonna be good. We're gonna have st- some stuff for the radio, but we're gonna have a lot of stuff that's for our live show. For sure, the music is you know nothing. Kind of offends me more than when I go watch a DJ play an hour of someone else's music the entire show. Yeah. I want my goal is for our hour, our ninety minutes, to be forty five to sixty five percent just strictly our original music. If you're buying a price and tachus ticket, whether it's twenty or sixty dollars you should hear our discography the way it's supposed to be. Mm -hmm. And I've I've seen way too many DJs get comfortable, and I don't blame them because the touring is really, really intense, and it sounds like you could... It's very easy to sound like you're complaining, but when it is three shows a week and nine flights a week it's easy to kind of play the same set, the same hot songs. Oh, God's Plan's big right now. Let's play God's Plan here. All right, the Kiki record. All right, let's play Kiki here, here. Yeah, yeah. DMX Party Up, put it in right there. It's like, it's I know, I know the songs to play for everyone to go crazy. Yeah. But at that point, why don't you just book a local DJ that could play the hot songs? Yeah. They want to see our songs. You yeah, know? exactly. So yeah, yeah, for sure.
1: I know uh, you said you haven't been to Winnipeg in like two years, right? Two years. And you're mainly in Vegas right now.
3: Vegas and Toronto.
1: What's life like for you on the road and how have you adjusted to being in so many different places?
3: Um, The one thing I've adjusted to is I, I kind of completely stop drinking a lot of the times okay. Um, because touring, it just hits you and like when you're just starting when we first had our shows i think we did our first show in vegas in 2016 and you're there and you're like i'm playing the show then i'm getting turnt and then i'm drinking all these bottles then there's an after party here and then we're not sleeping and you have this like immature just youth energy and now that i've we've done so many shows i want to make sure soundcheck goes well i want to make sure i eat a really good meal before i want to make sure i'll have one drink at dinner one drink while I'm up there. Mm-hmm. Half the time, we have a massive bottle of Hennessy literally just on the on the booth just for aesthetic if we're playing hip-hop. Like, yeah. literally, yeah. if we're playing hip-hop and we're supposed to be high energy, we'll have a, a bottle of rock here and we'll have bottles just that don't even get cracked. But the one thing that I've learned, most importantly, is to, to limit drinking and to actually take care of my body because there, that's the one thing a, a lot of people don't expect your health is all you have and you see things like mac miller where it's a lot more extreme where it's Mm -hmm. drug use but even if i don't touch a drug and i barely drink when you're traveling that much and you're under that much pressure i i have to take care of my body i Mm -hmm. have to or i'm toast
1: what was that like for you when you first left winnipeg like was for example i'll uh when i first moved to ontario last summer or at the end of last summer going to college or play basketball and, you know, I was thinking about it and I'm a very high energy person. I, get, I used to get stressed out really easily. And so I was sitting there, like I was shooting around one day and I was thinking about all the courses and I, I was like, holy shit, like if I don't go to an academic advisor's office right now and reduce my course load, I'm going to fucking lose my mind.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Was that difficult for you moving away from Winnipeg for the first time? And was there that moment where you kind of thought like, oh shit, I need to like get some pressure off?
3: A hundred percent. And that is one of the toughest calls in the world. Because when you're a kid from Winnipeg, even right when I was moving, things weren't going that well. Like I, I wasn't balling. Like things weren't, I didn't have, the record deal didn't go through. Some of our shows were only 2k a show. They, things weren't what people thought they were a year and a half, two years ago. But it gets really hard when your manager sends you a text and says, we have an offer in New York this Saturday. And then you have to be in Vegas on Sunday. And it's really hard for you to say, coming from Winnipeg, coming from playing at District Stop, coming from playing at Green Room in the Pint, say, no, I need I need to rest. Mm-hmm. And there's also other pressures being, my manager now says, well, now you're not going to expose yourself to two huge markets. You're mm-hmm. going to bother two promoters. Then my agents get in a group chat, because we have an agency. And our agents get in the group chat and say, what's wrong with you? We got this guy in Vegas, and he wants you there. And Mm -hmm. New York's such a great market, and you're going to be exposed to this demographic. The pressure of other people saying, what's wrong with you? Are you being ungrateful? Starts to creep in. And the the thing is, you have to be mature enough to be like, you know what? I'm not ungrateful. I just don't want to pass out. I I need to to care about myself. That's like the one thing I... I, when I was younger, I was a big Gary V fan. Yeah. You, you guys, you guys all I know Gary Vee? You love him? you love him? I, mean, you, yeah, do love I know him?
1: him. I haven't checked on any of his stuff.
3: So a lot of young kids love him and swear by him. And I used to be like, yo, I'm team Gary vi I'm going to be in the studio for 12 hours. Then I'm not sleeping. I'm catching this flight. Then oh. I'm doing this show. Then I'm, and I'd have his, his screensaver on my phone. And then you kind of grow up and you're like, uh, balance is needed. Yeah. Because Gary V doesn't talk about what to eat, and he doesn't talk about how it's—you have no one to talk to in the hotel room. Yeah. Like the the balance there. That's why I'm kind of uh, I'm kind of an anti Gary V guy right now yeah. because they. It, I think it's tremendously dangerous to tell a sixteen year old kid grind, grind, grind. Forget about your social life. Don't talk to your family. Like the one thing I, I flew in for my sister's wedding, which was last night. Since I've been gone in two years, I lost two grandparents, and. It's and I miss both their funerals. And the thing is, it's it's all fun and games when Gary V is on YouTube telling you, grind, hustle, don't talk to anyone. You gotta keep your head down if you want this. I want this. I really do. I love music. I wanna have a hit record. I wanna yeah. tour the world. But the balance is so key. Yeah. And I, I'm just I used to tweet out, Yo, money doesn't stop, grind doesn't end, and all these kids that are just like so high energy, but once you kinda settle in you realize, you know what, maybe we shouldn't do this show. Maybe yeah. this song doesn't have to get done this week. Maybe this video shoot doesn't make sense. Maybe I should go talk to my friend back from Winnipeg. Maybe I should go hang out with this girl because I haven't talked to anyone in a hotel yeah. for three days. Yeah, big time. So I'm I'm really a big I've been on a tangent, but I'm a really big fan about balance. And I think it is dangerous telling high school kids to yeah. hustle until they wake up one day, they're 25, they have no friends, and their health is suffering.
1: I like that you said that because when I used to, when I was a basketball player, and sports is the only language I speak, so Mm -hmm. I apologize for only knowing how to speak about that, but uh, when I was in high school playing basketball and, you know, working hard and all that stuff, I heard the stories about Kobe Bryant, you know, he'd wake up at 4 a.m., he'd do all this ridiculous stuff, so I did that, like I was about that life, so I'd get up at 5 and I'd work out for 8 hours a day. Six, seven hours a day. And I'm like, yo, I'm balling. I'm sick. Like, I'm out here. Mm -hmm. I'm going to tear the league up. And then it turns out my undoing in basketball and what actually forced me away from the game because I couldn't take it anymore was because my body couldn't take the pounding. And, like, some people don't realize that 0.001% of the world can do that. Mm -hmm. Maybe two people on the planet can do that. I'm not Kobe Bryant. Me playing basketball eight hours a day every day ruined my form, which meant I can't shoot properly, which meant I was ineffective because I wasn't athletic Mm -hmm. me playing basketball at that time was bad for me because it just kept me in my mind all day yeah I was sleep deprived and then I didn't actually play well I was asked I'd ask myself every year darn why do I burn out in December every year yeah and then I didn't get it until I burnt out in September
3: and you start to realize that almost every major team in NBA NFL NHL has sports psychology teams yeah like these athletes are going to therapy These athletes are having conversations about sports psychology. There's a whole world of this. Yeah. So the, I don't know. I'm not a fan of the the Gary stuff. And uh, I think that was one of the things that probably made me a little depressed in the come up when I would be like, damn, I just did a run of three shows in two different countries and I'm I'm not feeling so great about it. Or a song will hit a million streams on Spotify. And I'm like, I don't feel so great about it. Maybe it's because I haven't been outside in three days. Mm-hmm. I haven't seen sunlight. Yeah. I, I haven't had a real conversation with anyone. And also when you get to that point, when you d- literally hide away, essentially in a basement. It was a hotel or an airplane, but I'm going to say hide away in a basement. <laughs> when a, a real friend does text you, you get all skeptical. You, a real friend could be like, hey, Peter, how are you doing? And in my head, I'm... What does this person want? Yeah. What This person needs something from me. This mm-hmm. person's going to ask me for money. This person's going to ask me to fly them here. Yeah. And then you just get in your head. And that's why I'm just like, I really want young kids. If a kid is listening to this and they want to be a DJ, they want to be an artist, they like my pictures on Instagram... They don't see the pictures on Instagram when I'm taking my omega-3 supplement. And yeah. they don't see my pictures when I say, I don't want any carbs today because I got a show later and I need some eggs. Yeah. But the, the balance is so important. And I just, I wish there was a cooler way I can say it. And the, I wish someone like Gary Vee would say it.
1: Yeah. Sorry about that. I almost got you off there. But uh, where did you find the strength to kind of separate from that unhealthy lifestyle and aspect? Because I know a lot of people, you know, when they're in that mode and when they're in that mindset... They're so deep into it that it's difficult to get out. What was the first thing that you did to kind of separate?
3: I think the difficulty is actually guilt because you, you sit in Winnipeg for so long and you check your Twitter and people are making fun of you. And you check your Instagram. People are making fun of you. And then you go do your gig for 50 bucks in front of 50 people. And then you get fired. And you're like, I will be happy when I make it out. And then you make it out. And then you keep making it out, and then you keep making it out to the next level, and the next level, and the next level into shows you never expected to do, doing numbers you never expected, record deals you never expected to even. I didn't even think I'd be in a Universal office. I didn't even. I didn't even know what it, that was like. Yeah. I didn't understand having a manager. I didn't understand an agency, and you start getting guilty where you're like, well, if I if I take a break or if I'm maybe I'm a, ungrateful, and then maybe you start having bad people around your circle that are like you're being lazy, you're being ungrateful, you're gonna be back where you started, and there's that guilt of, I made it out, so I should probably shut up and keep going, but then eventually, you gotta just cut that circle to the people that actually care about you, and then you start to realize, and big wake-up call was, like, two days after I signed my deal, my grandma passed away, and then, like, my sister's so excited about her wedding, and I'm not able to come to the social, and I'm, I'm, barely I almost missed the wedding just off a delayed flight mm-hmm. and all these things hit you and and like my sister's up there so happy on her wedding day she doesn't worry about tour she has, she's not looking at analytics on apple music to make sure that i'm on this playlist mm-hmm. and you just start to realize it's like being hell-bent on success is just so dangerous it's like it's like the worst thing ever and and now i'm at the point where i used to when we put out a single Think about, it, think about it like this. My manager will say, this single needs to do X. Universal will say, here are the projections. We need to do this. Agency will say, we need to be big in this country for us to be able to tour these venues. And you'll have all these messages. But we just made a song. I just want to put the song out. Yeah. But I have all this pressure. Yeah. And I used to get so stressed and i refresh my, my Spotify, refresh Apple Music. And I'd have all the apps on my phone to, Okay, where? how are we doing in Amsterdam today? Why isn't California doing this? Why didn't this play us? And then you go crazy and then you start forcing music. That's why we got rid of almost our debut album entirely because we were trying to force hits. We're like, is this going to be good on radio? And then we'll play it for some girl and be like, would you like this on the radio? And then they'll be like, I don't know. And then we'll play it for someone else and be like, is this? G-? And you overanalyze everything. Eventually, now I'm like, our album's almost done, it's going to come out. There's going to be a single. Hopefully, it does well. If it doesn't, I'm not going to stress it because it, it just is what it is. I'm so much more interested. Like, I read this one thing, and it took me a while to learn this. I read this one thing that your happiness doesn't go up past 72K a year. Like, they did, they did a survey, and people that hit 72K a year, once you start going up, you have more expectations, more responsibilities, more stress, more risk, more debt load. So once I I realized, that, I'm like, why am I why am I trying to make a million dollars touring next year? Why am I putting so much pressure on a single that hits a million? Mm-hmm. I'm happy if if my rent's paid in my in my two places. I'm happy if I got a nice car. I'm happy if I could send a couple bucks to my parents. I'm I had to just readjust my expectations because saying I want to be a million dollar a year artist, it's like for what mm-hmm. to be so stressed and hate my life. I'm just happy being a comfortable artist that tours the world. That's that's the goal. So
1: is that your favorite part about all this? Having that peace of mind and being comfortable with who you are.
3: I, it it just recently happened. It's been like one year, man. I used to just be like so. In, that's why I got it so bad on Twitter back in the day because I was just so insecure. I was always trying to prove something. It was like, it was like check out my new thing. Check out this thing. Let's do this for retweets. I hope this does well on Instagram. And once you kind of let go of all that, it's like you're at peace but you know there's this other thing going on right now where young people I'm going to swear but young people have something I call a bullshit meter and they ha- they are so fine in detecting it if you tweet something and we know that it's just for a couple of retweets and you're just trying to be a, like a funny guy or or if you're saying something negative towards the person where it's fun to say something negative mm. in people's heads they're like this guy's bullshit this guy just wants some 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 numbers and it's like when someone posts something like if someone posts something where like we just hit a hundred thousand on soundcloud and then i'm sitting here i'm like i'm like no one uses soundcloud those are fake those are fake streams why are you doing that when people like people's bullshit meters are so high now and they will call you out Mm -hmm. and it's like i get a i get peace of mind being like this is what i did if if the last song didn't do well like that's sorry But if that song did really well, great. I'm happy everyone loves it. And you just do your best. But I think young people, like, that's why they love this raw, like, the Takashis Mm -hmm. and, like, the whole academic stuff. Mm -hmm. These, like, up-and-coming rappers, as much as I don't, like, love their music, people love them because they're so raw. And, like, kids have a bullshit meter. When Nicki Minaj comes out and everything's so polished... And they have the, the publicist right here. And she has a, a list of answers. I've been with artists that are in interviews where they bring a book. They bring notes where will they, will they say, well, don't, don't ask me this. And these are, the, these are the points we have to hit. And it's like people could feel that. That's just a bull, the bullshit meter. Yeah, it's insane. like, why are you hitting that note? We were just talking about this. Why would you all of a sudden bring it back to your tour that you know this date isn't selling well? You know what I mean? It's like oh, speaking of Boston, I really love Boston. Um, my show there is on the twenty third, by the way. People are like, okay, you're trying to sell tickets for the Boston yeah, show. Yeah, yeah. So it, it's just about being authentic, and it's like you can't, like, you can't hide from anything. Someone could ask me anything, and it's like, yeah, it's true. I used to be so embarrassed when like um, my restaurant closed. It was like I was like, damn, one year? How the hell was I in business for a year? That's so embarrassing. It took a year to open this place, and then I was like. I was I was like twenty one. I opened a restaurant. I got over it. And if someone asked me a question, was like, "Ha, I heard that place failed." I'm like, "It did." But I got a show in Vegas tomorrow, so I was like, "I don't know. I don't know." You know. You know. What I mean, if if you're like brutally honest and transparent, it's like n- there's no comment that could be in this podcast that could hurt me. at the yeah. Time. yeah. And That's then this is freeing. You know.
1: Yeah. So how how difficult was it for you though at first like you didn't realize that like the authenticity and the honesty was something that oh was, like, I was just the most annoying person how on the difficult Internet. was it dealing with the trolls
3: and the people poking at you there was okay I have two stories <laughs> these are good stories <laughs> let's hear so back in the day do you guys know a guy named Goody Grace yeah mm-hmm. no good idea you guys yeah, have yeah. heard of Goody yeah. right yeah. Goody music. so. Goody, it was my first friend in music. I was probably 15, he was 14. He's always been a year younger than me. He lived in Selkirk at the time. And I remember my mom had like a phone that had video capabilities at the time. It was like revolutionary. My mom's phone could take videos. So I told Goody, I'm like, we're going to shoot a music video, man. We're going to do this. We're going to do a show. We're going to get out of this city. And do you remember how hard people were on Twitter towards Goody Grace? These memes? Yeah. Did they have the white glasses he wore? Yeah. He was 15. They said, Goodie, people are giving him death threats because yeah. he's putting out rap songs. Jesus. People used to. Com- it was terrible, right? Yeah. And people used, to, people used to come so hard at me and just make fun of this and make fun of that. Oh, you're just. You're a DJ at the pint. Ha 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 ha. You're a DJ at District Stop. Loser. All, and I used to read that. And then things start picking up. And you know what's so crazy? Goody just dropped a song with g Easy seven days ago. And it's about the chart on Billboard. And he's signed to Atlantic Records. And he's on tour across the world right now. Yeah. And he's yeah. from Winnipeg. Yeah. And he survived those memes. And he doesn't think about those memes anymore. I was on the phone with him the other day. I was like, remember those memes? He's like, not really. I'm like, <laughs> remember those shows? Not really. And like, it goes back to what I read where it was like, mistakes are forgotten when you accumulate enough wins and it's like you know what i'm probably gonna have another huge mistake this year i'm gonna do something dumb I, I have to i do dumb stuff all the time i'm probably gonna put out a song that has a lyric that's gonna get me in trouble or i'm gonna do uh something at a show where i'm gonna miss it someone's gonna be mad at me something's gonna happen but as long as i just keep going a couple more l's a couple more w's w's erase the l's and you keep going but goody is like the biggest artist to come out of Winnipeg right now, yeah. by far. He's far bigger than what we've done. He's toured bigger venues than we have. He has a record with G-Eazy. That's one of the hottest songs in the entire world. But he used to get death threats because he wanted to be a rapper from Winnipeg.
1: He got actual death threats.
3: Like, I've gotten death threats because I wanted to be a DJ. <laughs> like, you could probably Google Peter Tackett's death threats and you might find some <laughs> on Google. There's enough. Yeah. So what that really taught me where I'm like... Okay, and that's why I love what you guys are doing, and I really wanted to come here. Even though I'm here for such a short period of time, it's like, there's going to be some kid at the club that's going to be like, oh, they're, they're little podcast. They want to be Joe Rogan. But guess what? A couple Ws, Yeah. and you guys are almost Joe Rogan. Yeah. It It is what it is. I remember I, I put on a chalkboard. I was like, I want to hit 100,000 streams. That was my goal. Mm. I literally put it down. I looked at it every single day. And then all of a sudden, one song went. Million streams in a day. Million streams in a day. I remember getting tweets, people like, fake streams. There's no way, fake streams. You're buying streams. You just had a thousand. How the hell do you have a million? But guess what happened the next day? 2.2 million. And then three. And then a hundred. And then 150 and then 200 million. Yeah. There's not enough bots for that. Okay? Yeah. It's like there's only so many people that could discredit you until it's undeniable. Yeah. Yeah. And that was the thing with Goody, and that was the thing with me. And that's what brought me peace. Where it's like, I played EDC. You can't pay to do that. The streams are there, you can't pay Universal isn't gonna give me a record deal because I asked them. Yeah. Know? They believed in it. Chainsmokers don't fly you out unless they believe in you. Yeah. And Big time. you it, you you do enough where it's like. I'll have a conversation with anyone across the table that doesn't like me or doesn't trust me or doesn't believe in me, and I'll tell them. I have every answer for what they could try to poke holes in. Yeah. And that's why when I do check my Twitter now, no one really says anything. The worst thing I get is, why don't you work with local artists? That's the worst one I get. I get it every day. Yeah. But the second story... All right. Second story. Okay, let There was this guy named Milan, and he was a really good friend of mine. And he was a little older than me, and... I remember he used to pick me up from school because I couldn't afford a car and I passed I, I failed my road test. <laughs> so he used to pick me up and he used to drive me to SportCheck and we used to sit down at Starbucks or it was a Tim Hortons on Regent across from SportCheck. And he used to be like, "I'm going to be the biggest manager in the world." And I'm like, "Manager for what? Like, you want to manage SportCheck?" <laughs> He's like, "No, I want to be an artist manager." And one day He sat down and he said, I'm going to pitch to this local group to manage them. I have my whole pitch. I wrote it down. I'm going to do this for them. I need to introduce them to social media. We got a tour here. We got to do this. He's like, this is going to be my first group. I'll pick you up from sport check tomorrow, and I'll let you know how it goes. I'm like, all right. He's a little late. I'm waiting. I mop the floors. Picks me up. Sad. I was like, oh. I was like, let's go to Tim's. I'll get a coffee. Let's have a conversation. What happened? So he went up to a local group. Not going to mention their names. Because they're still doing their thing. Yeah. And they said, we don't need you. We don't need you as a manager. You don't got nothing going on. You, you have no value for us. That was like five years ago. And who do you think um, Milan manages right now? No clue. Russ. He's responsible for Russ. Damn. One That's of the wild. biggest artists in the world. And I just was on the phone with him two days ago, and we were laughing, and we were we were talking. But I'm like, remember, remember Starbucks, and remember Tim Hortons, and they 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 dissed him. They said we don't need you.
1: A Winnipeg guy manages
3: Russ, the most Winnipeg guy ever.
1: Crazy, damn.
3: And he manages Russ, and that's how it goes. And it, the thing is, it's like you start to see these things, and you know, Milan is he's a manager now. He he goes on his jets, and he isn't public. He won't do an interview. But I remember him saying, this local group... We're talking about a local group that right now might get $100 a show. And Russ might make a quarter million a show. So you you just see these things. The Goody memes, the Milan getting turned down. That's what told me, okay, well, if Goody was getting death threats and Milan was getting shut down by a group that is doing literally nothing right now, I was like, who who am I not to get... Slander. I deserve slander. And the thing is, once you guys get to a certain point, if you guys start getting 10K per episode, you will get slander. You will deserve slander. That's a part of the the process. This is what this town does. Mm -hmm. It will will slander until it's undeniable. Mm -hmm. And now, no one can say anything about Goody because he's on a world tour. And I don't know if his phone gets service all the way over there. And Milan's on a private jet right now. And he isn't getting service for the tweet. And I'm at, people are gonna say, oh, why, why'd Peter stop in for two days and not do this and not do that? Well, I'm gonna be in Vegas tomorrow, and yeah. I'm, I got a show to put on. Yeah. And it's the thing is, it's like the slander is barrier to entry. It's you have, it's like graduation. It's like you know they put the cap on in high yeah. school. If you don't go through that slander, and if people don't let you know all your failures, you haven't really won yet. And th- I'm probably gonna have a couple more hours on the way, so hopefully I get another barrier. <laughs> But the reality is it's like those two guys proved it to me. I grew up with them and they made it. So who am I to be crying on on Twitter because someone says I should die because they don't believe that our views are real?
1: Jesus Christ
3: it's like it's like it's you're right our streams aren't real but Universal makes money off the streams and we have analytics for every IP address that streams our songs you're you know right. what honestly, I'm just a hacker right?
1: honestly I think that's way more impressive than actually doing the work fooling Universal and that'd making so incredible. many fake
3: streams I yo like, that'd be so sick if I knew how to like hack IP addresses man I'd be like I yeah. don't care
1: and apparently you're setting the world record for bots created because you're making 5 million it literally song. yeah how do you have all that time to do that be,
3: It'd be two hundred and fifty million bots <laughs> with analytics to where they are, because we have analytics on our streams to know where to tour and where to not tour, yeah, and we know which ages, so we can target ads.
1: Yeah,
3: it's elaborate, but there's still DJs in Winnipeg that are running around with these conspiracy theories. Yeah, but know. people think the Earth is flat too, so it's all good.
1: You ever, uh, you know, Michael Rapaport? No. He uh, he has uh, actually one of the biggest inspirations for us starting this. He has the I Am Ralph Forrest Stereo podcast. He's an actor. He's an uh, atypical big time New York sports guy. Yeah. Huge shout out to him. Big inspiration of mine. He has this thing he does on Instagram called The Shame Game with, uh, you know, actor Dean Collins? Yes. Yeah. They go on together and they read like hate DMs and they make fun of the people on it and they at them. It's insane. And it's like. Actually, when you said you got death threats, I didn't believe you. And I was like mm-hmm. thinking about some of the th- things I saw on the on the latest Shame Game. It's like mm-hmm. holy shit, some people are terrible.
3: Yeah, I feel like um, I feel like every day someone just needs to they need to be heard in some way, and it's a lot easier to say something. But here's the other: there is a flip side to it. Mm-hmm. For every negative tweet I got, I would get two hundred positive ones. Mm-hmm. So for some reason, the way I think our brains are like working is. They get like sirens go off when it's negative. Yeah. But for all the people that say, Oh my God, I just bought your song, I'm just like, Scroll, 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 scroll. <laughs> oh my God, I just bought a ticket. Scroll, scroll, scroll. But one person's like, Fuck you. And I'm like, No. I'm like, My day's ruined. But I think that's actually like built in our DNA because yeah. if like a lion comes up to you, you're like, Okay, hey, sirens, this is a negative situation. I should run. But if like a, like a squirrel comes up to you, like, Oh, it's a squirrel. Let's just walk right by it. You know right. what I mean? That's my, that's my theory, but don't listen to me at all.
1: I uh, I just want to say, I disagree with that really quickly. I think that's the programming that we've had when we're younger, the people telling us that we can't do shit. That's Mm -hmm. what kind of makes us like perk up at those really shitty comments. Like, yeah, I like your analogy. You know, you said if there's a line, you're like, oh fuck, I'm going to run. And if there's a squirrel, you're like, whatever. But what if you saw a unicorn? Are you telling me you wouldn't be like, oh, damn, whatever, and you'd walk by it? No, you'd be like, oh, my gosh, it's a unicorn.
3: But and I get know. positive emotions from the unicorn, not fight or flight.
1: I agree, but I think the thing is, like...
3: Because you get fight or flight if there's an animal that's going to kill you. But a unicorn, I might just get a dopamine hit and be like, yo, this is lit. I'm, I want to yeah, see and you want to stay.
1: I'm, okay, I'm struggling to make the analogy work now. I guess what I'm trying to say is, <laughs> with the animals, it's more of a physical threat in the presence yeah and that like euphoric wow when you're yeah. seeing it rather than a mental aspect of why is this person dissing my track yeah. and you know how many people have told you like i remember i can't i can tell you countless stories of how when i was in elementary school my teachers would be like what the hell is wrong with you do you think i'm an idiot mm-hmm. why are you stupid blah 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 a monkey could read this and get six out of ten or three out of ten i can't remember yeah. what the teacher told me but like just like ripping me mm-hmm. and you know like and so when people, you know, growing up, people diss you, you kind of you take heed, you take note of that, and you're like, oh, I Not gotta right. put this person wrong.
3: It's it's weird too because I I am ch- really trying to let go of that because I'm I'm just I'm trying to be like a peaceful person. Man. Yeah, yeah. I've been thought and stressed out for too long. I've been, <laughs> I started this shit when I was too young, man. But the, like, it's crazy that you bring that up because in middle school, a teacher was really mean to me, and I used to tell him about just crazy things I wanted to do, and he used to say they were dumb or whatever. And my manager got an email and said they wanted me to do the graduation for the middle school, and I was like, a responsible man would say, "What an honor! Let's go to the middle school. Let's do the graduation speech." I told my manager <laughs> put it in the junk mail <laughs> just because of that teacher, yeah. and that just shows that I'm just not there yet. Yeah, you know, yeah. I, I got to be honest enough that I, I want to get there, yeah. but I'm not there Still yet. Still a
1: little petty. It's, it's difficult though, you know. I think it's. I think when it comes it's down a journey, to journey, right. Though, it's part of me. It's a
3: journey, like it's a real journey. Yeah,
1: and uh, recovery and the path to success and happiness is not linear. Like I said, totally. Right. Uh, I think the most important thing though is coming down to wanting to express yourself rather than improve yourself. Totally. Getting that like internal bliss from knowing what you can do and knowing what you're capable of is way better than proving to that guy saying, "Ha ha, I proved you wrong."
3: I wonder why that is, man. Because I totally agree with you, and I always want to get to that point, but. Am I going to lie here and say I put out two singles tomorrow. One does 100,000 on Spotify. The other does 10 million in my head. I might be more proud musically of 100k. But for some reason that 10 mil I'm going to be more proud of. Yeah. So I don't know why it is. I totally agree, but I yeah. think there's just something deep in you <coughs> where that approval still matters. Of course. Yeah. Yeah. yeah.
1: And that doesn't make you a bad person. It just makes you honest. And I'm off.
3: working on it. Man. You guys could tell. This is my therapy, man. Let's get it. I see psychology books over there, but I to sift through those.
1: Yeah, I'm sure that's uh, textbooks that my brother's trying to sell or something. You know, know what's
3: crazy about almost every major artist that I've ever met? You want to know the first thing that they say, and you're not going to believe it? Guess. Something about your glasses? No, but they go to therapy.
1: Almost every
3: major artist I've met, one of the first things they told me is how important therapy once a week was. Do you go to therapy? I've never been, but I really do want to take it seriously. Mm -hmm. I'm kind of like scared to go, and the schedule's been so crazy, but when the album actually comes out, I'm I'm totally open to it.
1: Therapy and counseling, like either one, I'm not sure what the differences are, but they're great. I've seen like, I think in my life I've seen six or seven total, Mm -hmm. and I still talk to two regularly. They're if you find a counselor or therapist who works for you, mm-hmm. you don't even have to have issues. Sometimes yeah. you just want to be heard and you feel like you can't for yeah. some reason talk to the people around you or there's not somebody like readily available that you feel like you can connect to in a way that you crave.
3: And especially like when like what, I'm gonna I'm gonna be on tour meet a girl three hours ago and just tell her my life story or I'm gonna someone that could go on Twitter with forty seven followers, they can tweak some crazy shit. Yeah. If I tweet one thing, I get a I get calls from my manager so the thing is i i wish that knowing maybe 20 plus artists that have mentioned therapy i really wish they were more public about it mm-hmm. and actually have the conversation about it because i feel like young people that are ambitious you guys are all ambitious you guys are running a podcast this is one percent of people have the balls to do something like this if you're ambitious i think therapy will benefit you i think the number one issue is gary v's voice is far louder than artists saying go to therapy and balance out your life.
1: It always will be though. You think so? Those, pe- those people's voices will always be louder. Like, the book I'm going to send you, The 177 Tips to Mental okay. Toughness, talks about four classes of people. There's the lower class, there's the middle class, there's the upper class, and there's the world class. The middle class is the worst place to be in because it's from a fear based consciousness and mm-hmm. you're worried about what other people are doing. And it's if so and so didn't do this, I'd be successful. You know, if my coach played me okay. more, I'd still be a basketball player. So there's always blame. Always. The upper class people are the people that are successful, but they don't get it. Donald Trump is the poster boy of upper class success. Okay. Because he's successful. There's no denying of that course. he's the president of the United of States. However, You know all the noise, and I don't want to go into politics, Mm -hmm. but you know all the noise around it and what people find wrong with them. The world class operate from uh, a spiritual-based consciousness where you're worried about bettering yourself and worrying about other people. Mm -hmm. And one of the things that the book was talking about is 5% of the world is world class, maybe even less than that. And that's because a lot of the things that the world class people do and a lot of things that it actually requires to elevate yourself to that level Mm -hmm. is very difficult because it focuses it makes you reflect on yourself and parts of your life that you might not want to look at. Yeah. And in this journey, like even right now I've been going through this, I've been really hypersensitive because I'm mm-hmm. putting myself out there with my podcast. I'm taking on a lot of responsibilities trying to get a radio show at school. I'm studying at school. I'm trying to meet more people. You know. Yeah. Some of the things that I want to work out haven't been working out. Mm-hmm. And so I have to reflect. And it's difficult because some of the things that I think about make me emotional, make me not want to think. Yeah. Some people can't get over that. Some people can't get over the yeah. fact that we're all capable of fucking people up.
3: Yeah, no, of course. You
1: know? So, I mean, that's kind of kinda my answer. I'm sure I could go on for a lot longer. Speaking but. of
3: Donald Trump, I don't want to get into this either, but uh, we just did a show at Marquee Day Club in Las Vegas. Yeah. And I have this part of my set, which I do in Canada, only in Canada, where I'll start with Big Sean, I don't fuck with you, then go into, like, ludicrous move, bitch, into DMX party up, and then I do the song YG, Fuck oh Donald gosh. Trump. And, I, and the thing is, in Canada, it, there's a 10-minute window in Canada yeah. where the entire club, like the staff jump on top of the bars. In Canada, it is like the best 10 minutes you could do if you mix them proper. I was going into that routine, and usually Price is just on the mic. I'm usually just DJing. And as Price knew I was leaning into the routine, I didn't realize that I was in Las Vegas with a bunch of old, rich dudes behind me. And Price literally just slapped me. He's like, yo, don't even think about it. So I, we actually stopped the music. And I'm like, yo, just say something. He's like, Vegas, you already turned the f- up. And then I just played another record. But I was very close to getting in a lot of trouble in Vegas. That's but really funny. in Canada, that song works really well. Man,
1: every time in the club, like, it's the biggest song. It works. That is really funny. That is really funny. But, I mean, do you have anything to say about kind of the self-reflection aspect as well? As to why no, why the Gary Vee voices that uh, target the work harder, work harder, focus on yourself, focus more on enclosing yourself rather than being open, will always outweigh,
3: yeah, in my I, opinion, anyway? I think, man, since I was... A lot of people ask me how when I was 14, 15, I was trying to start businesses when they weren't popular, and I can't stress that enough, and when you're 14 and you start a t-shirt company this year, that's cool, because everyone does in high school, that's the thing, but when I did it, it was unheard of, it, You you had to outsource on so many levels, you had to invest so much, it was such a difficult process. I got into that because I read very heavily. I read all the self-development books. I was reading all the get-rich books, the marketing books. I was reading them all. And it started to form because I think when you're 14 to 18, you really start to form your personality. Next thing you know, I'm 18, and I'm just obsessed with success. Like, obsessed. Let's open this. Let's open that. Let's do that. Oh, DJ five nights a week? Even if it doesn't make sense, let's do it. Oh, yeah, radio show seven days a week, let's also do that. And I started burning myself out, feeling depressed, feeling exhausted, ruining relationships with my friends, with my family, with um, not visiting my grandparents ever, um, ruining relationships with women that were great, and it was all my fault, clearly. Yeah. And you, you sit back and you start to mature, and you start to get the things you want, and you're like, wow, wow. I'm like, I think I could have got all this stuff with balance. I could have made that song if I visited my grandma for an hour. It wasn't that serious. Yeah. I could have literally spent one hour visiting my grandma and one hour less on this song, and it would have been the exact same. And instead of taking out the stress of not being successful on a girl that didn't deserve it, Maybe I should have spent 80 bucks on a therapy session. (laughs) And instead of being mad that I'm always tired, maybe I should ask myself why I'm drinking every day and eating McDonald's twice a day. And once I started just taking, like, self-responsibility for why I was an asshole, Mm -hmm. you you start to slowly shift it. But the thing is, that shift is very slow. It is very slow. Slowly, you start rebuilding with your family. Slowly, you start having trust in the text messages when my friends hit me up i've for the it took me i'm 23 it took me 23 years to send a text first it literally if if a girl did or a girl or a friend text me i was skeptical i was like what what do they want what do they need they're going to ask me for something if i respond now i'm randomly have a couple hours i'll text i'll be like Hey man, remember when you let me do this? Remember when you borrowed me your, your DJ equipment? Hey man, I was just thinking about how you taught me this in the club back then. I just want to thank you for, for hiring me. I messaged my boss from SportCheck. I was like, yo man, that was my start. That taught me how to be a salesman. That was crazy. And it's like, it, it took me way too long. And that's another reason I'm like super forgiving about the early slander because clearly you know, you know me more and you know the industry mm-hmm. more. There's clearly negative things that have been said about me and it was deserved because I just wasn't ready. And now that I'm starting to get a lot more mature with it, it's, I'm really at peace. But that's probably the number one thing I'd want to say here. And I wish I could say this because I don't get long form too much. Usually when it's a radio station, it's three minutes to plug your song talk about your next tour date we're out you yeah. know what i mean so to be able to talk in long form the one thing i've been telling a lot of my friends and people that have been asking me for advice is patience like i had a kid that started djing he used to open for me at a club a couple of years ago in winnipeg and he's like yo man i'm working on this i'm working on this i want my album to come out and i text him back i'm like how old are you he's like 20 i'm like don't worry until you're 23 i'm like spend the next year learning about marketing Spend the next year learning about touring. Spend the next year trying to build relationships. Then come out when you're 23. It's all good. We're 23. And it's, it's so weird. How old are you guys?
2: 20. Mm-hmm.
1: 19.
3: Okay. Isn't it crazy that we think we're like 50? Yeah.
2: yeah. Beca- yeah. And
3: like the pressure <laughs> that I'm like, I have older friends. It's like, I met um, Diplo and he's like 42. And I'm like, I'm half your age. If I fail for the next, if I put out songs for the next five years Mm -hmm. that flop terribly, like hilariously bad, like you guys won't even click them if I begged you. Like I'll give you a dollar if you buy it, you won't do it. (laughs) But in five years, I might get the one. Yeah. And in five years, I'll only be 27, 28. It's all good. So it's like the the one thing is just like patience, man, patience. This like Instagram world of just like, you gotta be popping now and that's why I've really slowed down on my social media I'll I'll post something when I need to contractually say I got a show and when I actually have to do a ticket link or something or I have a song I'm proud of but it's like if every single day I'm gonna take a picture of the nice hotel or be like hey this is first class just let you know or hey I met this guy just let you know I have so many pictures that I keep private of people that I met that are my idols just because I need to teach myself self-discipline where I took this picture because you're my idol for me and I'm not going to post it for the thousand likes. Mm-hmm. I'm just not going to do it and I want to. And I'll put the filter on it. I'll crop it. I'll have it ready. I'll, I'll, I'll lower the saturation. It's, it's getting uploaded but I'll drop it. I'll say, you know what, this, is, this one's for me. This is for my vault. And that's that's a huge thing I learned because I've met just about everyone this past two years, right? So yeah, that's insane. I yeah. like that though. That self discipline. That's oh, so hard, man.
1: One of the things uh, that you said, and I'm not, I can't, I'm not sure I really agree with it. You said you kind of deserve the slander. I'm not sure if we deserve it. I think it just kind of happens anyway.
3: Yeah, that makes sense. I, I think that's just a weird way of me being overly okay. accepting <laughs> of it. It's like the truth is, Goody was a 15 year old kid from Selkirk that just wanted to make music. Yeah, and people told him to die. He didn't deserve that, and get. But the thing is, but the reason I actually am pro slander, I'm pro slander right now. Hey. The reason I don't mind someone sending me that, sending me those tweets, and when I, I used to get so fucking sad, man. Like I used to literally, it would ruin my whole day when someone said you're trash, you're fake, your songs are fake, you did this, you did that. It used to ruin my whole day. But then what I realized is once I got in the whirlwind. Once it was show, 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 flight, flight, flight. Once I got into a boardroom at Universal Music where there's 30 CEOs around you and they're all in suits, I realized, oh wow, that, that tested me to be strong and not a bitch in this boardroom. Yeah. And when I'm in front of a crowd at in Las Vegas in front of 5,000 people and I'm nervous and I'm not as famous as... When you look at the calendar when we're playing, it's literally like French Montana, Travis Scott... DJ Mustard, Price and Taggis. Like, I, and I'm self-doubt in the back, and I'm like, I'm not as big as these guys. What the hell am I doing here? Like, I don't have hits like these guys. I can't play Travis Scott songs. But then I remember all that slander that made me tougher, and I just I just do it. I rock it. Because, like, I think I needed that to not go crazy. You, I needed the slander early to be tough enough to not go crazy. Because, man, the last two years... Without exaggeration, I've been fucking crazy. <laughs> like they've been in the shit I've seen, the shit I've been through. I I feel like that was that's why I say it's like you're you're graduating now that you're getting slander. You're graduating when you start getting dislikes on YouTube, because it it's toughening you up. Because if you have that moment, oh, you better be ready, man. Yeah, it comes. I mean, we're winding down towards the end of the show now. Uh,
1: is there anything you kind of want to leave us with? Any crazy stories? Any kind of advice? Anything you really want to leave us with before we kind of hit the road here?
3: Um. Well, I told you guys about the Goody story. That meant a lot to me because he's someone that I think is wildly successful and should inspire a lot of Winnipeggers. I told people about the Milan story. Russ's album just came out. You could be a fan of his or not. I'm not a huge Russ fan personally, <laughs> <and> musically. <laughs> I, musically I'm not a fan of his and I, I tell him along that all the time but yeah. I respect their hustle yeah. immensely they work harder than almost anyone he doesn't do drugs he doesn't really drink I I respect their hustle musically I don't bump it it's not, not on my playlist but it's all good Yeah. and then the, there's just one other story I would say um, about to never think that you're always right this is my last story for the day alright let's do it <laughs> because When we started having viral moments, and all of a sudden, it's like, man, when you're... This is how stupid I was. When that one remix went viral, Mm -hmm. I would refresh it, there'd be a new movie. And then another. And another. And then they'd be like, Tiesto played it, Chainsmokers played it, and you think you have this, like, God's touch. You're like, alright, so every song I ever put out is gonna be like this. And I'll never forget in the summer, last summer, about a year ago, we were with our friends... And they were like, yo, we're going to play you this demo. And um, we think it's going to be a big song for us. They were about at the same level as us. We were just, you know, we're just friends. They're a DJ duo. We're a DJ duo. And they played us this song in our manager's car driving down King King Street. And I heard it. And I'm like, ah, that's cool. It's whatever. And I, and me and Price walk off. We go to our condo. And I'm just like, so what would you think of that? He's like, ah, it's not a hit. <laughs> that's, it's whatever, don't worry about it. And then um, we never thought anything of it until that song became Body by Loud Luxury. The number one song in Canada. Damn Do you know man. the song Body? Somebody yeah. told me
1: that. It was like, kind of had an affiliation with Winnipeg and I kind of didn't believe it.
3: So you know the song Body? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know the song Body. Yeah. So the one that taught me instantly, we don't know. And as much as Kanye goes on Twitter and says, I am a guy, I know what's good, I, we've turned down top lines that have been a hit. We've heard demos that have been Milan sent me early rust stuff five years ago, and I still have a Facebook message saying I don't like them. You, we, we don't know. all we, that's why the pressure needs to be taken off. and you, you guys can go into a podcast and be like, this one's gonna be good. Just just have fun. Some are going to be good, Some are going to be bad, one might go viral, might, one might not. It's just like the one thing is just like, never be confident too much. Don't just don't think you got that touch no matter what. That's it. That's all I got.
1: All right, word. Well, it's been an absolute pleasure. That was fun, you. man. Yeah, it was, this is was a great time. I'm really glad that you made space for this. Hell I'm yeah. Really man. appreciative of it. Thank you so much for hanging with us to the end of the podcast. Please make sure you subscribe, leave a rating, follow us on social media, and here's a beat to sign us off.
0: This is firefighter Raphael Porriette for Firehouse Subs introducing new firehouse pairs pair your favorite small sub with a signature side like the awesome five cheese mac and cheese and remember a portion of every purchase at firehouse subs goes towards helping first responders firehouse subs enjoy more subs save more lives participating locations only firehouse subs will donate a minimum of one million dollars in 2019 to the firehouse subs public safety foundation by donating 0.11 of every purchase This is Firefighter Raphael Poirier for Firehouse Subs. Introducing new Firehouse Pairs. Pair your favorite small sub with a signature side, like the awesome Five Cheese Mac and Cheese. And remember, a portion of every purchase at Firehouse Subs goes towards helping first responders. Firehouse Subs. Enjoy more subs. Save more lives. Participating locations only, Firehouse Subs will donate a minimum of $1 million in 2019 to the Firehouse Subs Public Safety Foundation by donating .11% of every purchase.